Come one, come all. Welcome, everybody, uh, to Little Wars back in the burning pits of I didn't really do much traditional games related this week other than work on a setting wiki and our new blog on Blogspot, and that'll be linked in the show notes. That's going to be where we are going to be posting this podcast and other related content for the foreseeable future. I am your co-host, Mongoose Kikimura, and with me, as always, is my trusty co-host, Jack Karanet. Yo, buddy, still alive? Still alive. And returning back again from the MyFrog torture chamber of Paygang <laughs> Hell, we have John. How you doing, John? This guest podcaster reviews crappy games. Repeat the guest podcaster. <laughs> yeah. So, um, with that all out of the way, I personally got very little in terms of traditional games-related things I actually did this week done. Been a little busy IRL. Uh, I have been uh, working on our blog. I've got a couple of posts up on there. One in Spanish, mostly, and one in English. Uh, we are What? We- we are very uh, we are very diverse and multicultural here on uh, Little that's, Wars. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Absolutely. Very, very diverse. Wait, are we are we taking an angle I didn't expect? I didn't get this memo. What's going on? Uh, I'm I'm joking about a post that's on the blog because our one follower I'm pretty sure is using an Argentinian proxy. So, <laughs> so you posted in German, right? No, I posted. Oh, in that's Spanish. a good point. No, no, no. no. <laughs> Maybe we should post in German well, it, just. To I'm, make I'm sure. presuming he's not his pappy. <laughs> well, hopefully they trained him right, and he uh, grew up speaking the mother tongue. If they trained him right, okay. Don't. Look- ta- I'm gonna cut this. <laughs> Fucking hell, you zoomer! Don't <laughs> talk with your mouth full on the podcast. <laughs> okay, let me just respond to that again. <laughs> Why did you think you could get away with that? Because I, you- I bit off to. I bit off more than I could chew. Literally. Yeah, literally. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, <laughs> you're cutting this out, but you're cutting this audio so I can use it in our oh, show of intro, right? <laughs> of course, yeah. Um, all right. Well, if they trained him right, you know, he, would, uh, he wouldn't He would say or know the, the, mother, the quote-unquote mother tongue. He, he'd tell you the mother tongue was Spanish, that he's an Argentinian just like everybody else. What are you talking about? Because as everybody mm. knows, there are three things you don't ask. You don't ask a man how much he weigh- makes. You don't ask a woman how much he weighs, largely because you can see that. And you don't, and you never ask an Argentinian how uh, high up his grandfather was in the SS. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. So I, uh, that's all I've been doing this week. Um, well, I have a surprise for you. Oh, uh, what? What's your surprise? You're gonna be so proud of me. You and Jack both. I played my first war game. Oh no! What? Yeah, How is, it's, what? You're talking about a video game. You played a it's video. It's called game. War Game Red Dragon, and I am now officially a war gamer. No, no, you're not. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. <laughs> this is I, this is the Wignet trying to get himself into the into the culture. This is this is entryism. This is entryism. I, entryism. I yes. moved my guys. My Go dudes. home, gamer girl. Old enough to bleed, old enough to breed. Old enough to bleed, old enough to breed. Stop entryisming my I hobby. I moved my dudes on the field and I and I and I succeeded and I won. So I, I'm I'm well enough you now. I'm basically just as much a war gamer as you will ever be. <laughs> well did you did you pay a lot of money for little plastic tanks? 
I paid a lot of money for DLC I'm never going to use. <laughs> mm. Mm. So wait, this is a video game, right? Yes, yes, it is a video game. Okay. Jack is Jack <laughs> is trying to do entryism into our hobby through a, a lesser intermediate form. Yeah, Jack, stay out of our hobby. Me and Mongoose are war gamers. Shit, John, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Any well, well, that that applies to you both. Vorderhammer 40k is a le- lesser intermediate form of other war games. Ooh. 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 Albeit, it, the... it is more of a war game than War Game Dread Dragon uh in our in our uh parlance. So mm, that's a hard disagree. So there's me. like a hard tier list. There's like me, then Jack, then John. Oh, just co- how convenient that you just happen to be at the top of this list. I don't know. Have you yeah, ever played Avalon it's... Hill's Submarine against yourself? I rest no, my case. I'm, I'm not that lonely. Have you ever played chess against yourself? Yes, yes, I no. have. I've, oh, okay, good. I have people to play it with. Well, yeah, but the only people I know that can play chess are like either not living around me right now or um, <laughs> some of them just take forever. So I just no. want to play against myself because it's fast. Have you ever played Battlefield or Battleship Risk against yourself? I don't know what Battleship Risk is, so no. I like the sound of it, though. That's what I thought. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so uh, so I guess I'll go next. Uh, I did nothing. You, John? Wait, you didn't paint anything? You didn't play any games? No, not... <sighs> Not, not really. It's been like... I mean, okay, yeah. It's 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 been a couple of weeks. However, I did pick up a uh, a pot of contrast paints, so I will be doing a full review of contrast of the new Game Workshop contrast paints. Uh, uh go ahead. Week. Oh, next week. Next week. Got it. Yes. Yes. Uh, would you would you like to explain to the rest of us what contrast paints are? Um, because. <laughs> Uh, me yeah. and probably I'd say ninety five percent of our audience don't follow whatever the heck Games Workshop releases in terms of overpriced uh right. pigmentation uh dispersion <laughs> technologies. So I actually have no idea what they're talking about. Don't worry, Jack. As a war gamer, I understand where you're coming from. I know all about this. <laughs> right. Yes, of course. Well, uh basically so remember we were talking about a couple of weeks ago. We were discussing models that G- that it's very possible that GW might uh, release models that are pre-painted, right? Yes, yes. That, as as like a as like a bridge to the normie. Well, co- what contrast paints are is that all you need to do is you need to paint one coat, right? And I'm presuming this is over a uh, a um, an already uh, and so you know, these are it, pre-thinned paint or. Whoa, wait. I, I'm well well not just pre thin though, pre shaded too. So all you have to do is paint one coat and and so so you know how the usual thing is to paint a base coat, right? Like one one layer, two layer of of uh of of thin paint, right? And then you shit and then you uh wash it with some sort of wash and then you paint that base layer one more time over it to create like a And then you do your highlights. Right, then you do your highlights and all the other stuff. Well, uh, contrast paints, theoretically, are things that you you, you can just paint it with one uh, one layer and it'll do all of that for you. Hmm. Right. So this was like an in-between type thing. Is this like when you have those 
those like decals that you just put water on and the colors appear? Yes. Uh, good, I can do that. I don't I don't like this idea. This this removes this this actually is GW lowering the gates. Well, on one of our primary gatekeeping sort of guard things where we're in like painting has been the the great sort of wall that we've been able to use. Well, but I'm going to go over that next week because I don't think it's actually doing that. I think I think that uh that this is an entirely th this whole classification of paints is entirely unneeded uh or if you do use it you know it's going to be very clear that you're using a contrast paint basically like <laughs> and then you get looked down upon by the right. nerd sitting across the table from you e exactly oh, no. well i mean but this is still gw attempting to like normify the market which is in their best interest considering their primary market is normies this is correct. This is correct. So, yeah. I mean, when you when you want to ask, like, okay, when GW is looking for market share, they're not competing with other war games. They're trying to get like the the Reddit uh, D and D player um, crowd into into games um, generally. Mm. Yeah. So so I mean, like, they made a post earlier about getting your uh, your army uh, uh, battlefield ready, right? And they were they were using this to introduce contrast paints, and people pointed out that like just putting one coat of contrast paint on this is not going to, you know, it's not it. This isn't the the you know this doesn't qualify because you need like three colors, right? Well, when you're so, trying to get your your army battlefield ready, like what do you do? You just buy three colors of contrast paints, and now your your like three color model looks even better. Or say you're some normie for whom like the the big like one of the big hurdles normies have with war games is I have to paint all those things and now they're like we have chemically engineered a paint and you just dab it on there and it does all the shading for you. <sighs> That's still too much work. It's less work, so there's always going to be like whenever you whenever you lower the gate a little, that that just lets a, a few more people in there. Um. And this this is our strongest. Uh, that was our strongest barrier, you know. I mean, and that's that's why like games like X Wing have have attracted these communities of like urbanized uh, soyum that like play it because it's like, oh, I don't actually have to paint these models and assemble them. I mean, I get like if you want to play like an extra game and you don't want to like necessarily put all the time into it, you would like something like you know bolt action or something like that. So you're playing, uh, I don't know, X-Wing on top of it. But when you're like the X-Wing group that shows up to the store and blares the Star Wars soundtrack out of a out of an iPad, like, no, stop. Or like a boombox on your shoulder. Well, it's not even a boombox, though, because see, if it was a boombox, it'd be slightly more respectable. you got to have a little bit of <laughs> cardiovascular and, and sort of upper body strength to heft a boombox around. But no, this is an <laughs> iPad. Plus, you got that retro cred. Uh, that too, but you know, iPads just easier. So you can play mm. the Star Wars soundtrack really loud next to every, next to like the people playing Warhammer 40k who are never going to change, uh, likely. Um, it's it's just like. Well, you already hate 40k, so I don't get what your concern is. Like, isn't this the accelerationist tact? Well, this is the ex see the thing is though is if. It, whenever whenever you look at war games generally 
that's the big barrier to all of them. And since 40K is the quote-unquote entry point, when you lower the entry point to 40K, you lower the entry point everywhere else. But also, since you're lowering that universal painting entry point, you're now, um, you're now looking at it where you're looking at a scenario where people are going to be going into all games in accelerated rates. So we can, our only hope is to believe that these contrast paints are horrid and awful. Well, I can also see them being a good like first step, though, to get you into the act of actually painting and realizing that, oh, hey, you could do this. And then you might look at other games that require a significantly more, you know, greater amount of painting, like bolt action, and think, hey, maybe I should try my hand at this. And yeah, it requires more paint, but I've already gotten to the swing of things just through this first step. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to prevent. <laughs> okay. This is this is you're gatekeeping, man. If you're not you're gonna put hipster. in the effort to like struggle your way through learning to paint, like you're not gonna be the sort of person who's gonna put through the effort and have the perseverance and time preference necessary to like really go hard on a on a war game. I don't get it, man. Painting is for women and Mexicans. I don't get why you're having a <laughs> having this little purity stand about this that. Is, this is highly incorrect. Painting is not for women and Mexicans. That's the only people who I've ever seen paint. Well, yeah, that's because you weren't alive back when, like, all the high-quality paintings were being painted back in the Renaissance by men. You're not using a... You're and not doing is, a fresco. This is basically... No, you don't understand. This is basically Renaissance painting. Oh, okay? that's... Then it's really... That, no, this, that's this, not this isn't a good basically thing. Renaissance painting, but my, my point is, is that painting is not just for women and beaners. Well, the Renaissance was fake and gay, so... Yeah, Jack. but it's it's a distinctive era of art where people figured out like two point perspective, and started doing it like really really weird anatomy stunt, uh, anatomy studies. Well, so so I would like to point out though that contrast paints have, uh, have like different properties, like they're not so so the 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 thing about them is that most most paints. Uh, have have like a have like a medium and a pigment uh thing. That's why you have to like shake them up because they separate out. Contrast paints are 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 like have like a different chemical composition to them. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but it basically eliminates the need for you to to manage the pigment and everything. So so you don't have to like uh, uh water it down as much. Okay. I mean. Yeah, I don't know. Like, like that's it's just it's just something that that you learn uh, as you're starting to paint your army is that when you you know when you're when you're painting your army you have to like water the paints down and you have to kind of it, it basically cuts out all of that work and just allows you to like slap a coat on without having to you know without having to do much for that for that base coat. So speaking of things that you have to put a bunch of work in before you can actually get any enjoyment out of, let's talk about some Warhammer tanks. Uh, well, yeah. just tanks generally, you have to put a lot of work in to, uh, to, you know, get any enjoyment out of. Did you guys know that a single Tiger tank took over 10,000 man hours to produce? That's almost as much as several American heavy bombers. That is a lot, actually. That really? is actually why the Germans lost the war. Like, unironically. You're gonna spend ten thousand man hours producing a tank. Now Jack has sent me a, a a picture link, and we're gonna we're gonna link this in the show notes, in the in the tried and true uh, little wars fashion for new new forty k vehicles. I've actually seen this uh, this troopcraft, this hovercraft. It looks like one of those uh, 
World War Two landing crafts, but it's a hover tank. Yeah, so I actually I actually wanted to go over this. This is the new Scorpius uh, Dune Rider and Scorpius Disintegrator. Uh, yeah. I believe that's what they're being called. So what do you what do you think about this? Well, the Dune Rider is very clearly just a 1940s era landing craft, but with all of the things that make a landing craft a landing craft and and intelligently designed removed because it's now a hover tank <coughs> with two machine guns sticking out of the sides. Why you would need those, I have no idea, because it's a, it's a freaking landing craft. It's also open-topped, which is a questionable design decision, but understandable considering the long and storied use of trucks in uh, small arms-based infantry combat since, like, you know, the 1920s. Uh, but, but then again, you're looking at the thing, and it's also an open-top landing craft. On land. The point of a landing craft is to take you from a boat to land. So unless you're like doing water, I don't get the point. Like it's it's got a it's got fairly thick armor, um which is nice, but then considering how big all the shells are in Warhammer forty K, is this thing real is this thing realistically a a good idea? No, because when you've got like this land vehicle, see the thing about that is you see the when that uh, ramp is folded up it slants downwards into the front bumper of the of the hover tank. And we've talked about shell traps before, and what a shell trap is is something where if you don't penetrate your initial shot, you uh you'll likely send the uh you'll likely send the, the shell back down into a weaker area of the vehicle, and that's exactly what that's going to be. Although here's another fun one. This this thing is uh so thin armored uh, that if if a low velocity or a low energy shell were to penetrate it, it might just bounce around on the inside, making mincemeat of everyone on the inside without actually exiting the other side. We actually had that problem with our uh, initial half track designs in World War II with um, machine gun bullets, as the the bullets would enter one side but wouldn't penetrate through the other, so they would bounce around on the inside and kill a bunch of people. And then they Holy also shit. also in classic Games Workshop style, they made it a double kit. Um, and the other one is this weird looking tank. It's also got the same shell trap. Uh, this would actually have been with if you just made that front ramp bit like a, a door, or put some doors where the turrets were on the sides. This would have been an actual competent. Uh, you flattened out the front, or maybe you made the front a slope. This would be a competent vehicle design, but otherwise, this thing is stupid. Um, this the uh, Warhammer 40k has uh, has reached a new low for vehicular design. Well, I am I am personally glad that uh that that we were able to continue the tradition of Warhammer 40k being absolute trash when it comes to vehicle design. This is this is so well, excellent. Admittedly, I actually had to go pretty deep to to uh, criticize this one. It wasn't as blatantly terrible as some of the other things they put out. If you just kind of look at it because it's it's fairly copy paste. It's a fairly good copy paste of a um of an old style uh you know, World War Two landing craft. So, eh, eh, I mean, it sucks, but it doesn't suck as hard as some of the other things we've seen. It's pretty good. Uh, well, it's so, just really bad too. So I thought I thought you were going to uh, latch on to the fact that there are like these two pipes that are in the middle, like right in the way of the two turbines. 
No, those back. are rudders, very that? clearly. If you scroll yeah, those down, are those are rudders. Oh, really? Yeah, it's a oh, hovercraft. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't see the... Uh... Well, if you scroll down the image right see... below those, there's this uh, turbo. Oh, I see it now. Okay. Yeah, those are rudders. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. Um, I'm this not gonna... landing craft, though, with no top on it, seems like it'd be very susceptible to mortars. Yeah, that's another problem, and considering that mortars are the single greatest threat to, uh, or were in World War II, the single greatest threat to infantry, and remain a very, very tangible threat for infantry, it's a bad idea. I mean, if you to get... me, this just this looks like they wanted a way to recreate D-Day. <laughs> They wanted to yeah. do like they're like okay guys we need a new armored vehicle and we've like basically stolen every ar every decent looking armored vehicle design on earth where you have the turret and then the dudes in the back with like the Soviet BMPs and some like other European armored vehicles and then we also stole like uh the big armored vehicle that opens up from the front with the land raider and then we also stole like the M113 with the uh with the rhino so what are we going to take now boys and somebody's like Hey man, they had these landing crafts. I saw it in Saving Private Ryan, which uh, re-aired at like 11 p.m. last night because I was up late smoking weed because like I'm a British weirdo that works for GW, and everybody was like, "Hey, that's a great idea. Let's just do D-Day landing crafts." Yeah, one of the top-rated comments on this post is, "Been waiting for this for too long. Here comes Skitari D-Day." Oh no, really? I didn't even see that. Yep. Oh, oh yes, God. and then oh oh, here's my other favorite part is if you look towards the front of the uh, transport variant, it has vision ports out the side as well. Yeah, out the ports, out the, oh, out okay. the sides. Yeah, the sides of it. Huh. So you which... can watch the other ship nearby getting blown up. Yeah, <laughs> which also begs the question: Why point the cannons out of the uh, out of the sides? Because like you normally drive armored transports in a forward row, or well, that's. Yeah, but that's in case, like, the, the guys on the boat next to you suddenly turn to chaos and you have to put them down. Well, isn't that why you have the turret? Because the turret can actually bend over and shoot into the open top of the one next to you, right? Like, that that would theoretically be how this works. Actually, it looks like the... Look at the um, the metal plate on the turret. It looks like it stops the guns from going any lower than uh Yeah, you're right. Horizontal. Wait, holy shit. That's right. That That's an entirely useless cannon. <laughs> you you saw something I didn't. Congratulations! That cannon is entirely useless. It has like zero yeah. degrees of downward rotation. Look at that. Well, shit. presumably it's anti-air, right? That's what I thought. No, the um, if you actually uh, look, if be, you look at the old D-Day designs of these crafts, where that turret was, they had like a single guy with a thirty-caliber machine gun, mm. and he was supposed to provide covering fire for the guys in the landing craft. So that's what yeah. I presume that was, because it's just a copy-paste of the design. But, in fact, they actually made it worse. Like, in their attempted copy-paste, they took something out of the old design that was very functional, that all they had to do was not fuck it up, <laughs> and they fucked it up. Well, see, I, I could still imagine that those machine guns could point upwards to provide anti-air. Well, yeah, I mean, a lot, of your, a lot of your pentel-mounted machine guns, even back in those days and even today, can point up and provide anti-air cover. I mean, that's, that's yeah, that's yeah. something it can do, but when you have a landing craft, you want that machine gun there to provide covering fire. Yeah, but it can't do that. <laughs> and your side machine guns can't do that either. I mean, unless you're fighting uphill... Yeah. Or, or you're like a landing craft where you're landing on a beach and the beach slopes upward like beaches tend to do. But is this like a, uh, a helicopter where in order to move forward, the front has to dip down? 
No, hovercrafts don't do that. They stay oh, pretty level right. because those turbo well, okay. fans in the back wouldn't cause it to dip because if it dipped downwards, the fans would drive it into the ground. Well, then I'm out of ideas. <laughs> I mean, it's it wasn't a bad it wasn't a bad thought, John. I'm I mean, I'm not going to it was like Oh hey, here's maybe they maybe they're not retarded. No, no, they're still retarded. No, they are they're retarded. Yeah, yeah. Oh my lord, I, I... <sighs> you know, I want to say I'm disappointed and I'm not surprised, and that's true. I want to say it, so I'm gonna say it because it's true. I'm disappointed. And I'm not surprised. Tell not... us how you really feel. You're not angry, but you are disappointed. I'm. Uh, when will you learn? <laughs> when will you learn that your actions have consequences I'm just... oh there's no consequences here well yeah the, the only consequence is us bitching about it because it's trash I mean although I'm gonna I'm gonna be real with you chiefs 2BH to be honest yes. Famalam ah yes that's what that means okay uh, I'm gonna be honest with you chiefs I'm gonna be straight up I'm gonna be real the Skatari designs have always been bad you don't okay. Hold, 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 hold on a second. You don't like the spider tanks? The spider tanks are cool as fuck. Uh, the spider tanks are very forty k, but like I don't like everything in forty k. I don't like the spider tanks. Okay, that's 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 fine. But the fact that an army has a spider tank, honestly, I'd wish they had taken more initiative with the with like the spider and and like and like made like multiple spider tanks along with a spider tank transport. That would have been cooler than Maybe this. you're playing the wrong war game and you should be playing Drop Zone Commander instead because I'm pretty you're sure that's a thing in Drop right. Zone Commander. Yeah. They have spider mechs that fly around in a little spaceship. Oh, Drop Zone yeah, Commander actually right. features really competently and well-designed military vehicles. And it has yeah. a pretty decent rule set with some pretty nice price points as well. But do you have to paint anything? Yeah. Well, yeah, of oh, course. Well, then I'm out. It's a war game. All you have... All you have to do is, is, like, paint it. Like, yeah, everybody loves painting. And if you don't love painting, you're not a war gamer. Yeah. Sorry, I'm a white male. I don't like painting. Well, um, speaking of <laughs> white males and people that don't like them and things they don't like, uh, mm. our good friends at the, I, I believe, Jack, is is this from the official Warhammer 40k Facebook? Yes. Yes, it or, is. Or, no, well, specifically the community, Warhammer community, which is which is basically the... Uh... That's GW's PR arm, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, Jack, would you would you guide us through this Facebook post you've you've dredged out of the pits of hell? Oh, yes, yes. So, so this is in response to uh, a bunch of people talking about inclusion in 40K. And let me just, without further ado, let me just uh, read this word for word. Hey there, thanks for getting in touch. Female representation in both our rules and models have been the focus of quite a bit of feedback recently. Uh, a bad sentence structure, especially in the last year or so. This feedback has been passed on to the studio and I can assure you has been listened to. Speaking to studio managers recently, we are happy to say that increased female representation in the background adventures of Games Workshop is a focus right now. And we'll continue to see more models, art, and rules for female characters in the future. Well, so that is true, though, because uh, because they, along with the uh, with the announcement of Sisters of Battle, and and a bunch of other things uh, like uh, like there was an Inquisitor Greyfax model that was they they basically been putting a lot more females into the uh, 
into the franchise, which generally speaking has have always been there, but they've been in the background. Um, Jack, I'm going to dispute this uh, female models bit. I'm looking at this Inquisitor Greyfax model. That's a that's a dude. Yeah, I see that that you... that that's a dude. That's a man's face. They don't like. I would like to disagree with you. You would like I to, but the... you can't. <laughs> I have the the Inquisitor Greyfax model, and the Inquisitor Greyfax model is a fine female. Is model. um disgustingly ugly. It's 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 ugly beyond belief. Like the what that face. Look at that face. It's it's a man face. All GW models have men's well, yeah, faces. Yeah, all 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 GW female models ugly. have men faces. Ugly. Isn't gray? Isn't gray the term for non-binaries? No. Yeah, I thought, I don't think yeah, so. that's a thing. Yeah, that's a thing. No, is that it? is a disgusting no. man face. Um, like every other GW female model, and you know, at at some point, like it goes beyond. Well, you can't just sculpt female faces well at that at that uh you know, at that scale. Because here's the thing. Well, I'm not saying that, but here's okay. the thing. You can look at other war games with attractive female models. Uh, you can look at war games with attractive female models that are highly well sculpted. That look very nice. Yeah, I've seen a lot of Japanese anime waifu war games with extremely attractive female models. Yeah. Yes, but 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 my argument though is that GW cannot make female faces at that level. They, and yeah. You know, why are they trying to do more of them? Well, well, and that's that's a yeah, separate which, question. Which then also begs the question: GW makes how much money, and they can't hire a competent sculptor to like sculpt a nice-looking, pretty female face. It doesn't even have to be in the okay. anime style. Like you can, you can sculpt an attractive female. We've been doing okay, it so, forever. So, 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 do me a favor and just just try to ignore the female face and just look at the rest of the model. That it's just a generic woman in some generic woman yeah. armor with some very conical okay, so, breastplate that looks like it came out of like the 1700s. I, I don't. I, so I don't so get let it. me let, let me let me finish the rest of this post then. Uh, but the ship is turning. You have noticed models like Inquisitor Greyfax, blah, blah blah blah. I don't know what the rest of these are. They're probably Age of Sigmar um, ones. Which, by the way, if you haven't looked at that, those are wait. Those are they uh, they have Inquisitor. Oh. Angharad Brightshield. Brightshield is the black yeah. chick from those awful Sigmarine comics, right? Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. let me just Google that so, really fast. Yeah, so so have hit as long as loads of artwork of Astra Militarum Codex, all representing females, without the quote boo plate issue you mentioned. This is obviously men this is obviously in response to a post. Rest assured, we are aware and we want to help all of our customers feel represented in our games and models. Thanks for the really well-written and very considered feedback. It is much appreciated. Hey, one quick aside. The best part yeah. about this Bright Shield model is even though it's like the disgust, it's like the quenchiest uh, post we looked at uh, last week with, you know, the uh, Din Dwisha, um doing the quenchy bit. And that's like Bright Shield's entire bit. She's wearing a helmet in her miniature. It's amazing. Huh. Okay. Well, yeah, there you go. But but there there's a few things that I want to like because you can read a lot into this, into this post, right? Because uh because for one thing, it mentions that it takes the studio about 3 years to to process, right? So like 3 years to process uh uh new changes in direction. 
Mm-hmm. So, so we know that the Inquisitor Greyfax thing happened three years before uh, the the new rule set hit. So, all I'm saying is that we may be in for a lot of cringy 40k <laughs> typecasting. Well, this is this may. is guaranteed. Like, if you look at like the way Magic: The Gathering changed, it was over the course of like five years, and. Yeah, uh, or a couple of years, and that that's largely because you you you're ending up with these uh, very 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 bad um, cringy you know people in charge of this stuff. But think about like the GW design timetable, but also look at like the books coming out of Black Library. I remember mm-hmm. uh, I think we might have been talking about a female Inquisitor one t- or not a female Inquisitor, a female Commissar on here one time. And if you look at the author of that series on Twitter, that's your very basic normie to your liberal on Twitter. And uh, those, are, those are the people that are writing fluff. They're receiving community feedback. They have the Tumblr ask blogs. They are getting the proper and right direction from their community. So when you're, when you're out here looking at, like, what's 40K going to look like two, three years from now? Magic the Gathering right now. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's exactly correct. Magic the Gathering's present is Warhammer 40k's future. And also, I would like to point out that uh, just just something small that I picked up on this. Rest assured, we are aware and we want to help all our customers feel represented in our games and models. So, so one of the firewalls that people kept saying that GW had against this uh, this SJWism is that it's a relatively uh, niche uh, market, right? And they don't have a lot of customers. And those customers, generally speaking, want something and they'll get it, otherwise they'll move on. Well, this seems to to me anyway, that the higher-ups in GW have finally decided that they need to branch out and and they they think they know who their customers are, much like how Magic the Gathering, much much like how Mark Rose Rosewater, I think his name is Mark Rosewater, uh, admitted that most of his customers were white and male, so they couldn't do it five to seven years ago on Tumblr. Now they are they are uh, they are progressing, I guess you could say. So I think they finally decided that they've reached a tipping point. So I guess their their strategy here is that they think this will bring new darker faces into the hobby, right? And yeah. but it'll still keep all of the old brighter faces around. My question is, will it? Well, you're going to Here's the thing is when we're what we're looking at and what we're seeing here, we're probably going to receive pushback from the quote-unquote usual figures that is to say we're going to be looking at um you know a lot of people going well 40k is super reactionary it's super based the setting is just so hardcore there's no way they could do anything to it um i i I think the best case of this argument i'm going to link this video and the link to the PETA article in the description is PETA put out an article criticizing the space wolves for their use of fur pelts and the the uh quote-unquote cringe skeptic 
end quote, YouTuber, Teal Deer, put out a video with, like, a 40k Space Marine voice modifier where he basically goes like, Warhammer 40k is so hardcore, let me list off these really brutal, anti-human, really hardcore things in Warhammer 40k that happen. You think that GW that writes all this stuff cares about your stupid libtard stuff, you libtard? And, and he, like, goes into this really hardcore, like, rant, and then you're, you're left sitting there looking at it, and you're like, Okay. But they're gonna they're gonna do it anyway. <laughs> okay, but the people in the people in charge are trying to steer this ship into pause land about three years from now, so Well this this was a very old thing, but it's like that argument is stupid and you should feel stupid for making it. Well yeah, they'll still be wearing fur while they're also transsexual. Yeah, I mean it- it's the 40k is so like implicit like, but they're gonna be awesome when they do it well that's conquest second laws slay queen yeah it's like uh 40k is so implicitly like reactionary and right wing okay first of all i have a uh, i have news for you 40k was actually always implicitly kind of a shit lib thing you just wanted to pretend otherwise and two uh this is conquest second law it's not explicitly right wing it's going to become left wing yep and we're going to have a front row seat. Oh yeah, no, you're not going not only are you going to have a front row seat, it's going to be it's going to be beautiful. <laughs> it's going to be beautiful. So what you're saying is I'm never getting a based Dawn of War 4. Nope. <laughs> you you might get you might get a Slay Queen Dawn of War 4. Okay. When okay. they start to introduce female space marines. And it's going to be uh, worse on gameplay than uh Dawn of War. I don't know if they're ever going to re- uh, produce... They, they likely will get to the point that they produce female space marines, but by that point, GW's sort of latent tendency to periodically pursue bad business practices will have burned away all of their goodwill from all of but their most hardcore and committed fans. That they How will is be- that going to... How's that going to work with all of the lore saying, nuh-uh, can't happen? Like, Robot Gilliman just comes back and he's like, oh, hey, I figured it out. You don't need a penis. Mm, okay. Well, they they did the bit where you can't actually make new space marines, and uh, look look how that ended up. Ugh. <laughs> you can't. Slippery make new space marines? slippery slope is real, folks. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that that's that's that. It's pretty uh pretty great. So <laughs> my uh my theory is that within the next year, I'd say within the next year we're going to see some some rot creep in and it's going to be based and by based i mean not based at all i think you mean woke woke thank you yes they're going to go woke but they're not going to go broke well that's depressing (laughs) you don't play 40k no i i played space marine i played dawn of war one and two they were pretty good games yeah anyway speaking of uh games that have gone woke do you guys mind if I tell you about the wokest role-playing game on the market? Wait, there's a more woke uh, role-playing game than whatever GW's offering? Yeah, yeah, there is an explicitly woke role-playing game that is in fact a propaganda-slash-recruitment tool for Antifa. Nice! <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so yeah, this all started when uh, somebody asked, like, is there a role-playing game where you can play as Antifa? And I remembered that there was a game released last year called Sigmata This Signal Kills Fascists. And it's a pun on Stigmata, which is 
some kind of thing where holes appear in your hands and you start bleeding and it's supposed to be like a I don't know, some kind of religious thing, which is an interesting correlation because the concept of this game is that it's set in an alternate reality, 1986, where uh, basically McCarthy won the presidency and he was right about all the communists. And so he led this great (laughs) right wing uprising, basically. And they the right wing party in America really took off and they punished all of these subversives and homosexuals and communists and uh, and liberals and whatnot. And the United States became an absolute utopia where people have jobs and obey the law. And it seems really nice. However, this is an anathema because, to your average. Because they say things and they tell people to do things and they have standards. Right. And that is an anathema to your average leftist. Well, that's an anathema <laughs> to your average person. Uh, God tells us not to sin and we do that anyway. So anything that, that tells us not to sin, we're going to rebel against, even if it is a even if it is a flawed earthly authority, because all earthly authorities are inherently flawed per Christian teaching. Because they are of men. But yeah, I mean... But it's like an imposition of standards at all frustrates the writers of this game. Uh, Well, you go right on ahead with your sermon there, Pastor. <laughs> no, I, I'm, 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 out of, I'm out of, uh, I'm out of Bible energy right now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to oh. hook up the King James to my brain and try to recharge. Okay. Oh, speaking of which, have you heard about the new Queen James Bible? That's that's why I read all of my uh, Christian teachings out of a uh, 110-year-old Welsh Bible. <laughs> so apparently, this I know this is a sidetrack, but it's hilarious. Apparently, King James was well known for his homosexual relationships around uh, around the court in England. Allegedly, it's so, not uh, well known because <laughs> I never heard of it. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is well known to all the right people, and you're not course, the right people. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he's well known for this, and uh, he also ordered the translation of the Bible into English. Uh, and yet, somehow, despite the fact that he's apparently a well-known homosexual, he also accidentally mistranslated several verses in the Bible to say mean things about homosexuals. Which doesn't make any sense, because if you look at other <laughs> biblical translations, even the most, like... Even the most left-wing liberal interpretations of these texts are translated in an anti-sodomite manner. Like the oh yeah, the Bible is very clear on this issue. And I think I can personally think of three separate occasions. Uh, there, there's Sodom and Gomorrah, which a lot of people dispute, but you should go read it in a couple trans in a couple of different translations. It's fairly obvious. There is, I think, it's either. It's it's either Exodus or Leviticus. It's one of the books where they lay down the law where that is stated. Um, and it's very clear. And then again in Romans, uh, in the New Testament, mm-hmm. Paul says that you should not lay with a man as you would a woman. Which is, is probably the most explicit way of putting it without actually using any really disgusting words, which Paul wasn't going to do. So again, you've got it in three places. So no matter what your criteria is, it it, uh, it goes right straight there. Yeah, but uh, the notion behind this Queen James Bible is that they're going to correct the translation errors and add basically little footnotes that say things like, it's not okay to be homosexual, and then they add a little asterisk if you're doing it as a form of worship for Moloch. <laughs> what? That's They actually what? added that. 
Yeah, they actually. So, well, that. all all that that doesn't matter. That that's still okay because all <laughs> homosexuality is an implicit form of Moloch worship. So, uh, sorry, sorry. Uh, try again later, <laughs> Satan. Well, the funny thing was that all of the incidents that they mentioned were from the Old Testament, but there's actually at least three different times in the New Testament that they mention the sexually immoral, those practicing homosexuality, slave traders, liars, and perjurers. Like, the, the, the Bible does not portray this as a good don't, thing. Don't forget my favorite book of the Bible, Romans, where it's literally explicitly said, don't lay with a man as you would a woman. Yeah. Yeah, which is why you should always get two beds at a hotel if you're hanging out with your buddy on a road trip. Uh, I don't think that's what Paul meant by lay. Well, I'm not taking any chances, dude. We're, we're forgiven of all sins, and thats I don't think that's really the sin that cries out to heaven for vengeance. <laughs> all right, fine. Anyway, so that was a... Uh... <laughs> the, uh, the sodomites were not asking for the angels from God uh, so that they could sleep next to them. Uh, in uh in genesis well it's it's like three different verses first corinthians 6 9 and 10 also mentions sexually immoral idolaters adulterers nor men who practice homosexuality wait holy crap first corinthians actually takes the same tack that varg does women who practice homosexuality are fine well i think the bible is (laughs) is woke on the lesbians aren't real question where like women don't really have sex with each other like, they just right. are lesbians, and then they beat each other up. And since the Bible already says, don't beat up your neighbor, because that's, like, bad, they're already covered. An eye for an eye, a punch for a carpet munch. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay, okay, so Jack... Hot. <laughs> okay, Jack, you might not think that this is related, but it is, in fact, yes. integral to the the RPG that we're talking about here because okay. Sim- Sigmata is all about homosexual black transsexual rebels fighting a utopian society run by white men. So so this is a this is a biography of modern day then or No, that that isn't. Do you live in a utopic society run by white people? Oh, that's true. Okay, never mind. Yeah. Here's the idea behind this. So, in 1986, they've got, uh, the government is known as The Regime. Very creatively named. I mean, that's what I would call it. Yeah, yeah, why not? This is my regime, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, so that these freedom fighters have basically been awoken because they've heard a mysterious radio signal. That nobody knows where it comes from, and it consists of an infinite, non-random series of numbers, which is then modulated into white noise and played over the radio. And when certain people, it's never specified who these people are, but when certain people hear this radio signal, which is the, uh, you know, the, they call it the signal, repeat the signal, when people, certain people hear this signal... They are transformed by a lightning strike into a robotic automaton with supernatural <laughs> powers. Which also so, begs the question, because in the lore also, you can't repeat the signal and get your powers, so why would repeating the signal be okay? But the thing beyond that, here's, a, here's another one that's, uh, that's pretty good. I actually was awoken by a radio signal, but that radio signal was not, <laughs> not random. It was... Uh, it was a radio signal that broadcasted to me a series of coincidences that defied a random statistical distribution. 
as right. our good friend Solzhenitsyn puts it. Yeah. Did it turn you into a robot? Uh, it, it turned me into a robot, but the kind of robot I got turned into is I don't think the kind of robot they're thinking of. It's more like the R9K kind of robot where you spend all your time in your room and are really lonely and bored. So you, you don't go out and, and kill commies or whatever. Well, I don't go out and kill anybody because I'm a law-abiding you don't citizen. go out. <laughs> oh, okay, all right, all right. <laughs> I don't even get traffic tickets. We've already discussed this. Right, right. No, I don't either. So anyway, um, so yeah, this turns you into what is known as a receiver, which is an actual robotic entity. Like, it's not... It's not like you suddenly get tech put into your body. You become an actual freaking cyborg. Or not even a cyborg, because you're full-on robot. You're a golem. You're a golem. Exactly. You are a golem. Uh, our, some, <laughs> of our, some of our more uh, woke listeners will get that joke. Those of, those it's a of D&D our, reference. Yeah, it's a D&D reference. Those, uh, Don't our, worry our, about uh, it. Our listeners who have heard the same signal I did, uh, they'll get that one. Wait, are we pretending to not be racist now? As a as an ironic yes. bit, I maybe. Oh, I, mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily self-identify as racist. I would self-identify as normal. Yeah. Oh, okay, right, right. I'm not a. I, so anyway, I don't ascribe to any words that are made up. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, I do subscribe to the signal, however. So, I think each of us should take some time to create our receiver name, which is an elite-sounding handle, and it is made. By using Leetspeak. Do um, any of y'all remember Leetspeak back from, what, the late I, 90s? I wish yeah, that, I wish that we 2000s. used Leetspeak online again because, you know, <laughs> that was that was very trad in an online sort of way where it's like uh, something nobody does anymore because they think it's cringe. Kind of like how people stopped doing the Roman Empire because they thought it was cringe. Um, but I think I think we should revive it. We need to return to tradition. <laughs> Which way, Western man? <laughs> that's a very good point m0 n60053 uh that that works only only millennials will get this. i i think that um <laughs> i think that if i wanted a if i wanted a lead speak name I, i'd call myself something like big nut but b is an uh, eight let's see that's oh yeah yeah eight one six n u seven all right, 816 NU7. That'd be your receiver name. I like it. Yeah, we were coming up with other ones. Like uh, we had uh, F46607. What's that? Oh. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Anyway, uh, so, so that's, that's your receiver name. Um, you have only four attributes. And the, the weird thing about this game is that it defines everything in terms of computer terms, it is extremely dehumanizing for the player characters in a way that I've just never seen before. It's, it's almost unnerving their dedication to dehumanizing you. So the resolution system in this is also known as the operating system. And in the core of the operating system, you have the quad core processor, See, which is why this is okay. <laughs> uh, brief aside. Okay. Here's the thing. You get these games and you get these people that think they're smart, and they're like, you know what, we have this term, Game Master. You know what, my Game Master, he needs to be called the Law Keeper. Oh, we've got, a, <laughs> we've got game mechanics? No, those are the Law Exploratory Guidelines, or the Quad Core Processor is your stats. No, 
no, I want like statistics or like character attributes. Those are fine. I want game mechanics. I don't want all these stupid cringy names. Keep the cringy names in the fluff where they belong. Stop. I hate to break it to you, but if you don't like cringy names, you're in for a ride because we've only yeah. just begun. The cringe has only begun. This is insane. So, your character has a quad-core processor, which is four attributes. Aggression, Guile, Judgment, and Valor. Of course, Judgment. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And these range from one to five. And the way this game's resolution mechanic works, which every time you roll a dice, it's not called a test or a check. It's called an operations. So every time you perform an operations, you always roll five dice. And the dice you roll are either D6s or D10s. So that's a six-sided dice or a ten-sided dice. And the number of ten-sided dice that you roll is dependent on your your, uh, quad-core processor. So the specific attribute that you're rolling. Or the process that you're rolling, sorry. And so the, the success is if you roll a six or higher. So you roll the number of d10s equal to your attribute, and then however many that is left to get up to five, you roll d6s. And then you just count how many of them are six or higher. And that's the entirety of this game's resolution system. And it is incredible how they then apply this resolution to everything that this game covers, which is, granted, not much, so I guess it's not that hard, because this game can only cover three types of scenes. And those scenes are intrigue, combat, and escape. So whenever you're doing, like, diplomacy or infiltration, that's your intrigue. Whenever you're fighting something, that's your combat. And then whenever you're running away to, to return to your, like, secret hidey hole, your communist hidey hole, that's escape. And that's all that this game's rules covers. Now, in this game, is your secret hidey hole, is that better or worse than Saddam Hussein's spider hole? Uh, he had anime in there, so I'm gonna have to say that worse. was that was allegedly Osama bin Laden. Saddam Hussein, to oh. the best of our knowledge, just had a very bare bones spider hole. Uh, well, Saddam Hussein had the baby muncher, right? The baby blender. No, they were throwing babies on the floor. I think you're thinking of Adolf Hitler. Oh, no, I never heard <laughs> that about Hitler. I did hear that about Saddam that he had he was sacrificing a thousand psycho babies per day or something. Oh, wow, amazing. Yeah, that was the only thing keeping him going after his... No, the liver failure was a song. Anyway, this is irrelevant. All right. So... (laughs) The the, the bath party lives dearly on in our hearts, dear listeners. Well, it also lives dearly in Syria, too, I think. Yes. Is that the same party? Yeah, the bath party is a pan-Arab socialist party, so, like, Syria has Mm. the bath party. Syrian politics are very interesting, and I encourage everyone to look them up on their own. Okay, back to fake and lame American politics. Right. So the way that this game works is whenever you want to try to accomplish something, you do your operations and based on your level of success, you either gain exposure or you put exposure on your enemies. And the way that you win is you put 10 exposure on your enemies before 10 exposure is put on you. That's the combat. So is this is this like getting them deplatformed? Like, no, this is for like throwing a car at them. What? <laughs> what? Yeah, that's... I don't understand. Yeah, you can I do don't... that. That's 
<laughs> That's how so, this game works. So, so what is exposure exactly? Uh, I. <laughs> what do you want me to tell you? It's the thing that when you get it, you'd lose. Okay, all right. Do you think this is thought out? <laughs> no. Well, yes, actually, I think you. I, I would think they would have like an HP system or something. Maybe. No, it's exposure. When you get to ten exposure, you lose. So, so you get deplatformed. So the 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 goal of this game is to is to deplatform the other. No, person. it's these people are doing this as a power fantasy. You literally pick oh. up the Nazis by the neck and then like snap their necks. Oh, this is okay. Yeah, this is about playing as a superpowered robotic communist terrorist, person of color, transsexual. God, I almost ran out of air there. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, exposure is just like they don't ever ex- explain what exposure is. The closest they get, it's a relative measure of how much danger a scene's participants are in. I understand if, say, you're a hidden communist in an anti communist society. Well, the only time that I could see using exposure is for some some kind of like firefight simulator mechanic where it's like your exposure goes up when you get flanked and so you take more damage from enemy attacks. Outside of that, yeah, you could come up with a better word. It's very dumb. It's like uh, throwing a car at the fascist government exposes them for being something they admit to being as fascist police people because no 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 you're not you're not exposing anybody exposure is literally like each each soldier or each cop has his own exposure meter and when it goes up to 10 he like loses or withdraws from the scene that's all they say about it (laughs) i I still don't understand what exposure so it's just health it's just health. It's just okay, health, it's okay, just Jack? Health. Right, it's just right. health. Okay, I'm But sorry. they call it exposure. I, see, sorry. I was trying to put it in terms of some, like, it, try to figure out what their health system, because a lot of times your health system is actually a proxy for something else. Like in Fade, I, th- I believe it's stress you have, and that can proxy for a variety of things in different circumstances. Yeah. But, um, you know, that all that stuff is just... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Don't think about it too hard. You'll get bogged up. Trust me. <laughs> I, I, I'm just trying to. I'm trying to grapple with the stupidity of this game, and I can't. All right. So evasion is even better. So when you're evading, like you're running away from from enemy units that are chasing you down, they have literal death squads that'll show up to chase you down. By the way, beast. Yeah. So when you're running away from death squads, you're doing an evasion scene. You have 10 exposure that if you reach it, then you presumably get caught or killed or something. But in order to successfully escape, you're doing these rolls and you have to accumulate a resource, which when you get to 10 means that you've successfully escaped. And that resource is known as waypoints. Okay. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't even, it doesn't even fit with everything else. Well, no, no it, it, it makes perfect sense. It's like they're playing a game of Sanic. You go to the waypoints. <laughs> no, that's checkpoints. Oh. Well, they, yeah. But, like, do you pick up little, like, vials of HRT, like Sanic picks up rings or something? Yes. And, <laughs> and then if you he, get hit, you, you drop, drop all, all your, your HRT. HRT. You drop yep. all your HRT. <laughs> oh, no. Oh. Yeah. Um, waypoints, <laughs> I don't know not where to contra go. points? Oh, mm. perfect. Wait, what does contra mean? Maybe it's Latin for way. Contra is, like, something about like there were drugs in south america and there was ronald reagan or Mm. something like that i don't know 
wasn't that like a side-scrolling shooter with the uh, machine guns and stuff? Anyway. So, uh, yeah. Then there's also, uh, there's also the intrigue, uh, mechanic, which is very similar. Um, you have, uh, your resource that you gather there is known as talking points. <laughs> and, uh, as you accumulate talking points, you can accomplish different goals, uh, which are called agendas. Wait, and the example... wait, 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 slow down. So they can come up yeah. with exposure. Yeah. For their bit. But they can't do all this other stuff. They can't. They can't name it better than talking points. Talking points. Talking <laughs> points. Are you yeah, kidding just, me? We're, we're trying to make a point here. A, a, a talking point, as it were. To to complete your agenda. Could you not have come out of all? You know how many words there are in the English language. An infinite number, because you can make up new words like yeet and dab. How? We'll get to that later. All right, I'm not, I'm not, let me, let me cover the example here. Okay, so the agendas, the example given in the book for this sort of agenda that you might want to pursue. The first stage, gather a posse. Wait, no, no, no. The second. No, the, 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 the agenda is the radical agenda. So the more talking points you have, the less I have to use, right? (laughs) <laughs> we're not making a come on i just dude. did that's <laughs> all right i'm i am pronouncing you overexposed right now you need overexposed to... <laughs> wignat Yo, that the... I, I can't steal john's job he's the wignat well you're doing a better job at it than i am now let me just go over the damn agenda can i please okay, all right gather a posse the example in the book the first stage gather a posse the second stage Pull away the cops. The third stage, halt the Nazi march. Wait, 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 halt the Nazi march? Yeah. That the Nazis are marching and they shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> halt the Nazi What if they're just exercising? March. You're That's... you're gonna attack a man just exercising? I guess the... I want you guys I want this to set in. The game master came up with a scenario, and the end goal of the scenario is to halt a Nazi march. And you're playing as a super-powered robotic cyborg super soldier. Are they also super-powered robotic? Like Who, the Nazi game master? soldiers? Oh, no, 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 the, they, they do. Guys. They do have some uh, super-powered uh, Nazi soldiers. They're known as jammers, and they look pretty badass. There's a picture of one of them jumping through the air with dual daggers, aiming right for a transsexual of color with a big swastika <laughs> on his chest. It looks pretty <laughs> awesome. Not gonna lie. So it's like Superman, except the S is replaced with a swastika. It's like Superman. It's Superman, but he has two S's. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah, yes, you're literally just playing as the Ubermensch. But anyway, um, yeah. So the so the GM in this case made an entire scenario, like session, around stopping a Nazi march. But they do it through expending their talking points to fulfill their radical agenda. The less you march, the more I have to. <laughs> okay, you can we can we cut that out? Can we? We can need we... to. This is this was not funny the first time. <laughs> no, no, no. Laughing. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> I, th- I, I thought that was hilarious. We need to cut it out so we can like like make a drop out of it. <laughs> oh, okay, all right. Anyway, um, <laughs> so in I really wanted to read this bit 
because they included this in the rules and it reads as a social justice lecture. So this is one of the rules. Voice of the out group. <laughs> oh, no. Voice of the outgroup is an optional intrigue rule meant to crudely simulate how a dominant culture responds when perceived cultural outsiders become vocal or challenge that dominant culture's precepts. This rule can be used by a character who is a member of an outgroup in a scene that is composed primarily of members of an in-group. For example, a woman attending a business conference that is primarily hosting an old boys network of businessmen would qualify, even if she is a high-powered executive. A person of color attending a loyalist rally would also qualify, even if they are in league with the regime. So, so wait. So, so could I possibly use the system to roleplay being a colonizer in India? No. No, you're white. Stop that. Oh. Wait, no, that, that doesn't but make I, sense I want you to get, because... I want you to get what this rule is setting up, though. What they're doing is they're setting up the whole privilege slash oppression pyramid thing because they're like if you're a woman if you're a whammon even if you're a ceo you don't count you're still an outsider because you're not a man and if you're a based black who voted for trump you don't exist because you're still an outsider is there a lie there though do you really think that trump doesn't like his base black people that's a good point yeah, yeah okay. that that is that is a really weird this like is part of the rules. They are they are codifying their BS oppression hierarchy in the rules. So 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 are these like the actual rules for the uh, for the uh, for the for the hierarchy of 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 like oppression? Yes. Like uh, here's the rule: a player deciding to leverage the voice of the outgroup during her turn. By the way. It's always her. Every single pronoun for a player is always a female pronoun. Okay. It's only whammy. Well, yeah, that's because you, you when you write rules, you have to decide on a pronoun. And yes. if you're writing a game for their target audience and you use him, you're going to get called out. So they have no option otherwise. Shouldn't they have used like Zim Zam Zippity Zoops Up? Well, that's the thing is it most people that doesn't come organically and the rules would f read really clunkily. So they likely made the executive decision to use her to avoid um, criticism, but <laughs> yeah. also to uh, use something that actually flowed in the actual English language as intended. I wasn't aware that Bill Cosby was a gender. But... Oh, he was a he was a, a pioneer, a visionary <laughs> of gender fluidity. <laughs> Zip bop, boobity bop, bop. Yeah. Anyway, um, so here's the rule: a player deciding to leverage the voice of the outgroup during her turn scores two successes. Per 10 rolled on a 10-sided die, remember? And you've only got between 1 and, like, 4 of those 10-sided dice. So, but every 10 that you roll, you get 2 successes instead of 1. But, if the op fails, it is considered a dramatic failure. So, basically, if it's a normal failure, it's automatically degraded into a critical oh, failure. Because, because they're spot. Because, yeah, because they, no, they because don't fit in. because you're oppressed. Yeah, they don't fit in. So they're, they're, everybody stops and looks at them. The records stop and they go, oh my, how did a whammon get in here? Yeah, who let her in? Right. <laughs> I gotta talk to the Hey, security. who let this broad in? Yeah. The voice of the outgroup can be a movement's most powerful political weapon. When someone defies social expectations, typically the expectations of silence and obedience, it can be a show-stopping call to action. 
However, its use comes at enormous risk to those who use it. When a member of an outgroup speaks, the in-group will generally only hear her words if she's able to maintain absolute composure and incorporate some of the norms and expectations of the in-group. So They're like trying to train uppity negresses to be uppity. So yeah, so so roll to roll to not be an uppity negress. No, this is hilarious. No, they want you to be the uppity negress. They they're they're mechanically rewarding uppityness. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> did I mention I like it did I mention that this was the Antifa role playing yes, game? Yes. I believe you did. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, this this allows you to role play being an Antifa. I might actually run this. This sounds fun. It sounds fun until you read the 330-page book and realize that there are so... Did we forget that John has literally covered every rule there is? All 330 of those pages? (laughs) Yeah, there's so much. Well, it's actually 329 and a half because it's like a half page of rules. The rest of it is just really cringy Antifa fanfic, which you could read on Twitter. There is a lot of cringy. There's a lot of cringy You could just go to r slash Trapo Brap House and read it yourself. Don't advertise that, dude. Our, our hey, listeners I'm, do not deserve not? that punishment. Come on. Uh, I said you amazing. could. I'm not. I'm not forcing them to go there. I mean, if don't you do if you want to cringe, you can go there. Um, <laughs> if you don't want to, don't. <laughs> yeah, I mean there there are uh, a few additional powers that you can get, which they call blades. Uh, very edgy. And they're not even, the weird thing is, blades are not even weapons. They're things like camouflage, gyroscope, sonic sight, gravity spurs, neural net. It's like, they call, all of their upgrades are called blades, and not a single one of them is an actual blade. (laughs) Well, I mean, maybe sonic sight is like attaching sonic screwdrivers to your eyes. I think it's just here, it's just seeing sound. It's like, you're permanent acid tripping. Yeah. Makes sense. And then they've got subroutines, which are your magical powers, and they allow things like stepping into a television and stepping out of any other television. Uh, creatively named Cathode Warp. Did we mention that this is set in 1986? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So so TVs still have cathode tubes is, is the idea. Yeah. Okay. So all of their all of their magical powers, uh, known as subroutines, are based on some method of mass communication, such as uh, TVs, uh, telephones, radios, and the uh, the internet. Well, of course, it's the signal, right? Yeah, that's the and 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 I'm I'm assuming it's it's uh, taking from that from that movie, that Firefly movie, whatever it's called. Like you can't stop the signal. Wasn't that the wasn't that the whole thing? I don't know. The quote. I don't watch Outlaw Star ripoffs. That's true. That was an Outlaw Star ripoff. Well, the point is that the signal is very easily stopped, and the fascists will show up to shut it down. And so they have to be constantly relocating and, like, starting up new signals elsewhere with their own, like, pirate <laughs> broadcasting <laughs> network. That, okay. that sounds like uh, the signal I heard. They're constantly relocating because they're getting shut down. <laughs> I know. The sound that sounds like YouTube. Yeah, I mean, come to think of it, this is another case of leftist projection, isn't? It? Because yeah, leftist it is. podcasts don't ever get shut down, deplatformed, demonetized, or anything like that. Chapo Trap House has a blue check on Twitter. Chapo yeah. Trap House has literally 
uh, advocated on live stream for uh, suicide and murder and violence and violence. Yeah. Well, I to be fair, I also recommend they all commit suicide. But yeah. yeah, but that's also against the terms of service of where they were. You know. Oh right, yeah. right, yeah, all right. Well. No, yeah, they, this whole notion of them being, like, stamped out and oppressed, man. It's like they had to invent their own completely LARPy universe to live out that fantasy of then, like, throwing cars around and <laughs> fuck screaming, you, fuck I you, won't dad. do what you tell me. <laughs> anyway, I could go into this further, but it's it's so awful and Cringe minimal in terms of rules. Well, it's terrible world building. It's awful mechanics. Like, usually I'll look at a role-playing game and I'll find something interesting in terms of mechanics that I can take away from it. This one, there's nothing of worth in here. It's a garbage pile. It's disappointing on a mechanical level, and it's obnoxious in a world-building level. It's not going to be able to tell good stories. So it's like... Why does this exist? And the, the the worst part is, if you look around, every review that you find of this game puts it at 4 out of 5 stars. 90% rating. This game is so important and needed to be made. And the well, the only complaint that I've ever seen about it is, it's a little bit high. The price point is a little bit high for the content. Let's, let's be honest here. With each other and ourselves. And with the, the the circumstances that is going that is uh, that that sort of surround the uh, reviews of this game, who is this game made by? Antifa. Losers. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, same thing. Who is reviewing this game? Uh, people that presumably spend a lot of time reviewing uh, games online. Presumably they're popular. They have a following. Whatever. Or you know, people pestered them into reviewing it. Uh, and and if you spend enough time around on the internet, you know. Uh, you know what this stuff is, you know what it's like, and you know what these people will do to you if you cross them. Anybody who's reviewing this game knows what's going to happen if they give an honest assessment of this game. Uh, and that we know too, they're going to, their blog's going to get, uh, their blog's going to get harassed, they're going to get shut down, they're going to be hounded off of Twitter, they're going to be mass reported wherever. I mean, is the risk really worth the reward? I mean, if you if you don't review this game, you're a fascist. If you don't review it well, you're a fascist. I mean, that's just how it works. Are you saying that I should write a blog entry reviewing this game, honestly? Uh, no, because if you were to write a blog Aww. entry reviewing this game, honestly, there's a significant chance that someone would straight up just, you know, get your all blog right, shut down. Right. I think I think Mongoose is trying to stop the signal. I'm trying to stop the signaling. And the upcoming cycle. Ah, there you go. <laughs> Repeat the signaling. I want to kill the signaling. I want the signaling to die. This signal kills dopamine receptors. <laughs> yeah. Now, but speaking speaking of killing and death, uh, we did have one final topic we all wanted to talk about. Right. Yes. Yes. And that topic being character death in RPGs. Dun dun. Which is actually a more exciting more exciting topic than you uh than you would think. Yeah, and the reason that I, I brought it up is because I, I saw today a very, very moving, very touching Reddit post. It just, I read this post and I was, I was nearly, I'm, I'm sorry, I just, I was nearly brought to tears from how, how deeply touching this post was about this guy who lost his character. Do you mind if I just, if I could get through it, do you mind if I just okay, read this John, real quick? John, uh, in post, I'm going to need right. you to edit in the sad violin music. 
Of well, as if I could avoid crying already. Okay. Go ahead. Alright. He was only level 5, but I'm gonna miss him. He was a wolf totem barbarian called Akela, who had a habit of catching attacks with his chest while swinging around a great axe of wounding. Unfortunately, catching a beholder's disintegration beam doesn't help at all. He died a hero. <laughs> R.I.P. my friend. <laughs> that is how I feel right now. Oh. Wow, amazing. Cool. God, I just it, it, what game was this? Dungeons and Dragons, of course. Are you sure? Cause I saw the post and it said DD. It says D and D character. Ah. What do you think the Anne stands for? You, you'd think it would be werewolf. No, it's a level like... five wolf totem barbarian. Oh, wolf totem. Okay, all right. I see. Basically, I just wanted to just make fun of this guy for this absolutely retarded post where he pretends as if this was actually a character and like dropping to negative 10 HP actually meant anything for any sort of storytelling whatsoever. Normies, get out of my hobby. Re. That was the most masculine re I've ever heard. It got a little low pitch there. I don't know how that happened and why, but I'm going to go with it. Anyway. Um, so, but no, that, that got me thinking about, like, well, character death could be an interesting thing in role-playing games. It doesn't have to be this sort of, like, oh, I lost at this board game. Oh, well, I'm going to go, like, you know, make a new character and join in next session kind of thing. Uh, it could be meaningful, but I wanted to hear your guys' thoughts on it. In a role-playing game, first of all, have you guys ever had characters die? Player characters die in your role-playing games? Well, I have played with some extraordinarily new people, put <laughs> it that way. And... Mongoose, tell, tell the story. Tell the story. This. It's so good. You have to tell it. Which, which one? <laughs> the one who got sent to a farm upstate. Okay, so I don't want to, I don't want to say this, but I come from the, uh, I come from the camp of player character death is an excellent punishment and needs to be used <laughs> as such. And, um, sure, you can have people that die in stories or whatever, that's cool and all, but, uh, you gotta kill people when they do dumb crap. So... In the olden days of yore, uh, some people asked that I run a and d game for them, and since I, uh, I was generally uh, kind of looking for something to do, and, like, you know, these were okay people, I guess, at the time. I was like, oh, okay, like, the guy that asked me, uh, he, was a, he was a buddy or whatever. And so uh, I decided, and, and I'm not going to use anybody's name to protect the innocent and the guilty. Um, so I, I went to go play the game, and I'm like, okay. Uh, so I'm running this game, and they're on a ferry, going through uh you know going through this uh these lakes cuz they're they're playing in not finland and uh so they so they're just going up on this ferry and one of the one of the guys decides great idea i'm going to so okay here's <laughs> kind of how what's going on is one of the players set up a bear trap on a lure on a piece of string off the side of the boat to see if he could catch a fish and the sailors on the boat for whatever reason had to retrieve this trap so they were going down the side of the boat to retrieve it, and uh, one of them's tied on a line. And I should mention this is not Finland, so it's very cold. This water's very cold. It's it's coming up on like late autumn, so you know it's fr it's near freezing water. 
So one of the guys decides, you know what's a funny meme? I'm going to take out my axe, I'm going to cut the rope and drop the guy into the water. The dude dies. <sighs> so, the uh, the ship's crew, much, uh, much distraught by this person's literal murder of one of their, uh, their comrades, uh, chain him to the deck of the ship, as is tradition. Or uh, the barge ship thing, whatever. Those details aren't necessarily as important. When they get to the city they're going, he's tried, found guilty, they cut off his arm because these people believe in punitive punishments like that. Uh, so then one of the guys in the group decides, well, you were mean to my friend, so I have to go solve this problem by burning down the ship. <laughs> so he goes, and he burns down the ship. Like you do. Reasonable. Then he's taken into custody, and he keeps being uncooperative and attempting to assault the uh, assault the local constabulary. <laughs> these aren't police officers, because this is uh, this is the Middle Ages. So they just get fed up of his bullshit, mm. and eventually they just kill him. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like you did something stupid. Your character got his arm chopped off. You deserved it. And then the other guy's like, "Well, no, we're in the right because we're the player characters. We just do whatever the fuck we want." And then he does whatever the fuck he wanted, and then <laughs> and then the repercussions caught up to him. <laughs> he he got killed. Yeah, I I think player character death at some point. It's not some okay. So there is this sort of mindset in games where these this D and D mindset, and uh, so they're they're concerned that the game master is going to kill them. People with this mindset have this paranoia about well, the game master is always out to get me because you know Dungeons and Dragons is an elevated war game, and therefore in a war game the uh, relationship between two parties is always inherently oppositional. Yeah. Um, in Warhammer 40k, you're trying to kill all your opponent's dudes. In uh, Chainmail, the war game that Dungeons and Dragons comes from, you're supposed to kill the other guys and win the battle. Uh, in Dungeons and Dragons, the game master sets up a dungeon full of presumably dragons that try to kill you and then you kill those dragons and there's a rigid set of mechanics to ensure that you have the mechanical leverage to beat out your uh, DM's tricks which is kind of what makes Dungeons and Dragons kind of a shit game is it's uh, it's an elevated war game and creates this sort of the role playing game as the war game mindset in its players but beyond that you end up with these sorts of adversarial relationships where players believe that they always have to be fighting the game master and yeah. when that happens, you end up with these players that get very combative about things. Uh, and they're very entitled, too. It's, it's contradictory. A lot of players will be very entitled to things in the, in the game, but they'll also want to fight you every, about everything tooth and nail, both in rules and like in the game itself. And at a certain point, you're playing in a setting. Presumably your setting has pushback, right? Like if I were to go outside and start breaking a lot of laws and being mean to people and doing horrible things, and I'm not going to name any crimes because, you know, I'm not advocating for criminality, but if I were to go do something very criminal, in theory I could do something so criminal that the state would execute me. I don't know, man. You're white, and I've heard that that means you get off scot-free. Yeah, okay. Continuing, <laughs> uh... So you will you will run into players that, that treat the game as a, as a way to do that. The other problem is you have a lot of newer players, and a lot of players generally who treat games as if they're like, whatever, man, it's what my character would do. He's chaotic neutral. And then they treat the game kind of like a, 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 a play session of Grand Theft Auto. And despite the fact that, you know, open world, let me go kill whatever I want, games are not particularly enticing to anyone who has more than two brain cells to rub together, in my opinion. Uh, this 
this also creates a sort of player who's going to go do things like, I don't know, violate laws and get himself shot. So I, I've slowly, I have I was in the beginning probably more forgiving than I should have been with, with players and the way they would uh, try to violate my, uh, violate the laws of my settings or, or my games. You know, very basic laws like don't go murdering people or don't go stealing things or don't go and be a jackass generally. But uh, as time has gone on, I've become increasingly less patient and increasingly, I've, I've ramped up uh, and front-loaded a lot of punitive in-character violence because uh, nothing teaches someone better than uh, losing a character. And actually, out of those interactions, I actually regret killing the, uh, not killing the guy who chopped the, uh, the, mm-hmm. the tie rope on the boat to kill the sailor. I regret not killing his character because the other guy whose character died learned his lesson, but the, the guy whose character lived didn't. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think there's a risk of if people get their just get their characters killed because they're acting like jerks that the next time around they're going to put even less work into having an interesting character and it's just going to be an assortment of stats and they're just going to keep doing it. Um well if that if that continues then obviously you just kick the person from the group if if you right. you can give the person out of game feedback where it's like why would you do that? You know, and yeah. you can kind of try to get them to think about their actions. And then if they if they continue to and you can let the setting be a little bit more gentle, and if they continue to push, then you can you can get to the point where um, you can get to the point where you can actually sort of, you know, punish them in character with that very visceral attack. And then after that, uh, if it continues, you just kick them from the group. Uh, mm. One thing I've noticed is that these types of players actually do tend to get very attached to their character's stats and things and any mechanical advantages they've attached. So having to start over from square one is very not good for them. I also tend to uh, I, I tend to be of the of the mindset that it's like if you die, you're going to lose a significant amount of like either experience or whatever. So maybe if you're playing at like level three or so in D&D terms they come back as a level one. If you're playing at level f- 10 and everybody's worked their way up to that and you die, you come back as a level five, especially if it's a punishment, I'll be way more punitive on that because there, there needs to be at a certain point people have, and I, I guess this is kind of a derailing of this conversation where like, how do you deal with character death? Well, yeah, it's, it's a great story element, but really you have to be able to use it as the, the biggest, meatiest nastiest stick in the stick section of your toolbox as a game master because you have carrots and sticks yeah i i mean like i've noticed that people who get way too attached to their characters tend to get really like autistic when it comes to stats and everything and i i've done this a couple of times where i'll i'll like really flesh out a character like really well but it will usually only be you know in service to what kind of story i'm trying to tell so I, I, you know, I, I don't know. Like, I think, I think that, uh, I've, I've noticed that it's best when I've like discussed their character's death beforehand. Like if they, you know, especially if they like, if they want to die and mm-hmm. like make a new character, I'll, you know, I'll actually work that into the story and surprise everybody with it. That, that can actually be an interesting way to, uh, to tell an interesting story is having one of the characters die. Plant, plant, planned out anyway. 
Yeah, that's that's the one time I've had death in the games that I've played is my character died. We were playing a zombie apocalypse game. I was playing the kind of mentor role and, you know, teaching some of the younger characters how to be survivors of their own, how to go out there and do all the things required. And there was this, you know, very dramatic moment. And I, I had to like I, I had to spend less time on the game. I had to go back to college, something along those lines. And I was like, all right. So I talked to everyone. I was like my character is going to die and this is going to be a passing of the torch onto you guys' characters. And it made for a really great touching scene. It was just the perfect dramatic end to that arc. And uh, yeah, so I, I agree with you, Jack. I think that it, it can be really powerful and well done if it's, you know, if it's something that's arranged as well. Yeah, I, I do think, though, that uh, that not enough role-playing games treat characters like uh like call like call of cthulhu does and i know that's kind of a bad like you know i <laughs> i i know that ad and 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 other older role-playing games treated you know death very uh you know like like you're probably going to die every once in a while you know because because that's just the way so you're talking, you're talking about high lethality games high lethality games that's right like like i feel like most games these days kind of expect you to live through you know through most of the encounters and and that kind of makes that kind of makes some of the encounters feel less threatening i guess like i feel like i feel like in order to build up the correct amount of tension you need to be able to give your player characters a reason to be you know to have caution well i wonder how much of that is based on dungeons and dragons creating this mindset and expectations in players where I anything I encounter I should be able to defeat. I think that there's a there's a sort of hybrid of that in reality. Um that when you're a game master and you're setting up encounters that your players are absolutely going to meet, they should I mean and and this is like excluding all other factors. Obviously there'd be exceptions to this. Um they should be able to defeat them within reason. Uh, you can design encounters with puzzles, and and they've got to think kind of laterally to defeat them. Sure, I mean, but there there should be, you know, at least more than one reasonable way to defeat something. Now, if the players make decisions that would force them down a, a path in the story, say they they've been antagonizing a very powerful force, and they've antagonized it to the point that the force would want them dead, and they've made a series of very aggressively stupid decisions. Yeah, you know, maybe. Maybe it's not such a bad idea to get them, you know, killed and have them fight something they actually can't win against. And so I think, yeah, there there should kind of be, as a game master, you should design things to be balanced in a way, but not necessarily, you know, aim for that all the time if it fits the story. Yeah, so basically it sounds like there's two types of character death that we're talking about. And one is that kind of dramatic note, like in a, in a storytelling terms, it's it's the uh, the point in the arc where this character dies. It's the Obi Wan Kenobi character dying, or or the Boromir's you know heroic last stand to atone for something, you know that sort of a death. Or there's the punishment. You're being a dick to the wrong people, and now they're going to come back and show you why you don't do that. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. I think those are two very good uh, very good categories. And there are also things where it's like, if you should know how to do this, or like you should have the common sense not to do this stupid thing and you do this stupid thing, 
you deserve to get killed. Like, if you're, say, in a combat scenario, you're ducking behind a ditch, and you know the enemy's looking at that ditch, and you just decide to stand up over the ditch and start walking towards them and shoot at them from the hip, you probably deserve to die. You made a very, very, very bad decision. And unless you're playing a character... Unless you're playing World War One. Well... But even in World War One, they wouldn't just walk over the trench and shoot from the hip. Like, they would actually run out and then uh, yeah, get into crouched. another trench and then sort of work their way up from there rather slowly. Like, they weren't doing, like, I'm going to walk out here and then try to shoot at you from the hip, you know? Yeah, but um, my point is there are much better examples. Like, for instance, you're playing Shadowrun and you piss off the Red Samurai who show up with mini guns and powered armor that none of your weapons can even like play against. Oh no, against. I'm talking about stupid decisions <laughs> in combat that get you killed. Like not not like Oh, like tactical. Okay, tactical decisions. Tactical, yeah, that's what my example mm. was. Or like uh somebody threw down a grenade. I'm going to pick it up and try to throw it back and then, you know. <laughs> it worked in Call of Duty. <laughs> most video games don't even have that as a thing. So like most people wouldn't even think to do that and Actually, that's not a bad decision, because there are uh, character archetypes that would do that, you know? Mm. That's not even a bad thing, because that's, like, interesting from a story perspective, at the very least. Yeah. So that's... I'm trying to think of, like, a really, really good... I, again, the best example I can think of is if you're being pinned down by machine gun fire, and you decide to, like, start walking slowly towards the enemy firing from the hip. Yeah, hopefully your game has mechanics to ensure that doing that is the last thing you'll do in that campaign for that character. I mean, yeah, and you, you do end up with people making very situationally stupid decisions. Um, and it, it is perfectly valid to punish people for decisions because there's no point in having a rule set or even a, um, or even a sort of set of mechanics that in theory could result in a character death in combat if there's not the chance that that can happen. You have to be willing to... Uh, you have to be willing to fight them. Right, but that. I guess I guess my sticking point is always like how ready should you be to whip out that like nope, you're going up against the miniguns. I'm not like, you know, I'm I'm not cutting any dice or giving these guys any penalties. Full out in the open roll. Oh, sucks to be you. And it also sucks to be me because my plot right now revolves around your character's backstory. Uh-oh. Yeah, I I think there's a uh, I think there's a form of it really depends on the egregiousness of the individual action and it's got to come up to a lot of personal uh a lot of just sort of it's got to come up to the situation really. It's all contextual. Yeah. Know? It's very hard to sort of draw a well if they check all these um all of these <laughs> uh boxes then you've got to kill them it's less like that and more of a you have to now analyze the situation as it's happening yeah. um one one uh one thing is sometimes you'll end up with players that do these sort of very dumb actions that you know like murdering these npcs or whatever and that will make other players uncomfortable in in some cases and it's if it becomes an issue for the rest of the play group it is worthwhile to pursue other means of punishing people you know what killing if killing people makes your players uncomfortable killing your players well on? well no maybe maybe having a, a player who's doing this lol random i just kill random npcs bit doesn't mean your other players don't like it it makes them uncomfortable they just think yeah. it's stupid or something it's perfectly fine to uh punish them like that hmm. 
Again, you I'm, are very I'm... Pun- you are very punishment focused when it comes to character death. Phys- physical <laughs> punishment. Yeah. That's because that's the majority of the interactions I have with it. But beyond that, it's also because, you know, it's kind of uh, endemic. I, I run games for a lot of new players, so I have to be very in sort of in sort of tune with how does one punish poor behavior <laughs> to try to get people to behave. I can't really use the carrot because most of them were overlooked carrots because they lack genre savviness and experience. So you have to be very in tune with how do you make a very effective punishment that's a learning experience? (laughs) Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever had a character die in your games outside of a punishment? Um, no, (laughs) no, no, mostly because I, I've, I have never had players who were really, uh, good enough at that sort of thing to really yeah it, nothing ever really require it so no no heroic last stands on the bridge to hold him off while the rest of the party escapes nobody who's like it's my time none of that there's right. never there's never been a party i've ran for where i was like yeah if i ran that they all just wouldn't you know crawl on top of each other to run away wow <laughs> Okay. Uh, hey, most most new players tend to run very selfish, self-centered, chaotic, neutral characters. I, I feel like my players would definitely uh, volunteer for something like Last Stand on the Bridge. Like, I'll, you know, l- like a, uh, you know, like a, I'll hold them off so that you can get out of here, you know, go get out of here kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I did in that zombie game. It was like sudden ambush of like a bunch of unexpected zombies from from some like you know dark corner of the room shoves everybody else out of the room holds the door closed hacks them to pieces while being bit up and then it's like you know they're fine all the zombies are dead they come back in my character's lying there on the ground covered in bite marks gonna turn here shortly and he's like you know i've already given you everything I've, i can teach you this is my final gift take it and do with it what you will i mean it's cliche but it works in the in the in the moment yeah you know? Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty fucking cool to do that in the moment. That's what I. That's that's the thing. Like that's the carrot for me. You get to be that dramatic badass hero. What? That's like that's its own reward. It's I don't know. It's it's a shame to me that people don't see that other side of the opportunities and just see character death as like, oh no, I gotta avoid that at all costs. I don't know. That's weird to me. A lot of people will get very attached to their characters, especially new players. So they're very. Oh, so do I. That. But they lack the experience and maturity necessary to. Uh... Again, it's more of a question of mongoose. Who have you run for in the past? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but to <laughs> me, that character getting killed in that way for, to save these people that he'd been so heavily invested in were and were reliant upon him and needed to learn to like operate on their own. That death scene was a part of his arc and what makes him such a cool character from the overall yeah. picture. And so yeah. I wouldn't have changed but a, a lot thing of, about that. Again, a lot of less less experienced players will not design characters. I know. I, again, we're getting down into the point where we're just all kind of we we've reached a we've reached a synthesis in our dialectic. Beautiful. Mongoose likes to murder people to get the others to behave, and ja- and Jack and I like to have heroic last stands. Got it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I'm a very, uh, I'm very much a, um, I'm very much a member of the system, the regime. 
All right, well, Jack, I hope you don't mind if I throw you at Mongoose <laughs> and you can sacrifice yourself so I can get out of this episode. Get out of here. Go. <laughs> Thank you. Now, now you guys are talking about all these heroic sacrifices. You, you didn't even bother mentioning the greatest heroic sacrifice of all time. What? Jesus. Jesus? Yeah, Jesus. Yeah. yeah. The King James Bible finished uh, recharging me. I'm uh, back to Christian posting. <laughs> oh, good. Okay, good, good. Yeah. Um we need you to we need you to do a review of the Queen James Bible here soon on the blog. Uh yeah, it's fake and it's literally fake and literally gay. Uh that's all <laughs> that's all. Review <laughs> complete. All right. All right. Well I think that's uh I think that's all for now. Yep. That no covered everything. Else. Thank you all for tuning in. I'll yep. be posting the uh, URL for the blog at the end. So if you want yes. additional content, come on back. Yeah, if you if you want the if you uh, if you wanna see the blog you can go to uh that uh, URL we'll be posting in the show notes. And uh, yeah, that, that about covers it. Um, I'm no longer on Twitter, so you can't reach me any, there anymore. The only one of us who is is Jack at Jack Carinette. Um, yes. We'll have uh, our, our emails posted in the uh, show notes as well, so we can contact fairly decently easily uh, from all that. So Talk to me on Twitter. I'm lonely. Wait, is this your heroic last stand on Twitter? Yes. You sacrificed yourself to keep the Twitter orbs. What's the uh what's the thing that the Halo uh the Halo Reach thing? Uh Operation What survive. are you doing, Master Chief? I'm I'm finishing the fight. That's you... right. I'm finishing the fight on Twitter. You're finishing the shit post. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've got one more shit post in me, sir. <laughs> yep. Uh so that that about covers it all. Um so with that all out of the way, this has been uh, this week's episode a little worse. We'll uh, see you guys later. Bye. See you. Farewell.
Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of Little Wars. For more traditional gaming autism, head over to littlewars.home.blog. That's littlewars, all together, no spaces, dot home, dot blog. Have a great week, and many epic gamer moments.